This is episode 71 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode, we're talking with photographer Anne Belmont, and we have so much to get into with this episode, but first and foremost, I do want to congratulate my good friend Matt Payne for his 200th episode on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Matt has been such a good help for me as a podcaster throughout the last few years. So Matt, congratulations. Love what you're doing on the podcast. Keep it up. If you're not following Matt or if you're not listening to F-Stop Collaborate and Listen, go ahead and subscribe to that on whatever podcast platform you're using. Getting to today's episode, Anne Belmont has a lot to say about the emotional connection side to photography and how you relate to your subject when you are out into the field photographing it, spending hours finding every little angle that you can, every little perspective that you can to get a high quality photograph. And not only that, but we're also talking about lens baby and the advantages and creative aspects that they have for small scene and flower photography and also what out of chicago conferences can do for you as a photographer the landscape photography show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography it's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Ann Belmont, and Ann and I have been trying to get this podcast done for so long, but of course, things during the pandemic kept coming up. We both needed to take breaks, I feel like, for just ourselves and our own photography. So I am beyond excited to be able to welcome Ann Belmont to the podcast. And Ann, I guess I should start how I start every single podcast. And if anybody doesn't know you, give us an idea on who you are and how you started in photography and what led you to where you are now. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, David. I'm really delighted to do this. And I'm sorry it took us so long to put it together, but yeah, life has been pretty complicated this last year. So, um, but you know, once I my schedule cleared out, I was just really excited to have a chance to talk to you because I, your work resonates with me too. So I think we have some very similar, similar attitudes about our work. So, well, I am a nature photographer, but I specialize in flower photography. That is my true love. Um, but I don't just photograph flowers. I also photograph all kinds of plant life, bot- botanicals, anything that catches my eye. I particularly love <clears throat> to photograph um, things close up, macro photography. That's just the way I see the world. It's the way I've seen the world since I was actually a child. I, I kind of connected those dots to that, how that relates back to my childhood. Um, I was one of these kids that spent a lot of time in nature. I grew up in a small town, um, just spent a lot of time outdoors. And um, I just loved looking at the world up close. So it really translates to what I do today. So I'm from the Chicago area, and I am really, really lucky to live 10 minutes from the most amazing place to photograph, and that is the Chicago Botanic Garden. So I can literally get into my car and have 2.6 million plants at my fo- at my footsteps. And, you know, 
I, I think for a long time I took that for granted until last a year, a year ago, almost a year ago, when the garden shut down during the pandemic, and I lost that ability to um, have that place to photograph. So when they finally opened, it I, I was just so grateful and and just um, you know my my happy place was back, but most of my work is done there. Although I do travel around the country and photograph in other botanic gardens and, and in nature, nature, um, anywhere, the woods, anywhere I can find where there is plant life, flowers. Um, a lot of my work is captured with lens baby lenses about at this point, I think is about 90%. So, and I know that you have, um, embraced lens baby and that would be fun to talk about too. Uh Lenses, you know, really, um, I feel help me capture my subjects the way that they feel for me. So my emphasis in my photography is really, um, you know, both in my teaching and in my my personal photography is really to see more deeply, to photograph from my heart. And that that means really bringing um, emotions and self-awareness into my photography and then really helping people and myself to rediscover creativity because I, I feel that we are all creative beings, but sometimes that creativity can go underground and we just need to learn how to bring it back. And so I love teaching that and practicing it in my own photography. So I guess that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) In terms of the botanic garden, let's start there. There's so much to unpack there, of course. Um, with the botanic garden, what kinds of advantages do you feel like it gives you and your style of photography? Oh, it, it's it's unbelievable because, you know, I have, not only do I have all these beautiful subjects at my footsteps, um, and, you know, I've kind of let my own gardens kind of, you know, go by the wayside because, you know, I can go to this beautiful place, but it's more than that. I've developed a relationship with the garden. I, I love the people there. I love the horticulturists. I have gotten to know them through the years, and they've taught me a lot about plant life. And I mean, their enthusiasm is just amazing. So, you know, if you do photograph in a botanic garden, get to know the people that work there because they they are amazing resources. And I I think knowing about the the subjects that you photograph is is really important to appreciating them, wanting to help protect them. And um it's just, it's a beautiful place. And it changes with every season, it changes. So, you know, I've been photographing there for 20 years. And I can honestly say that I never feel bored, because there's always something new, there's always something that's undiscovered. And, you know, every season that the colors change, the um, the plants change. They they replant the the gardens for spring, summer, fall, and this year I I you know initiated this this really transformational project for me of photographing the garden in winter, 
and we can certainly talk about that because it's been um, it's been an amazing eye-opening project for me. But there is so much beauty in winter that I just hadn't been willing to look at because I was never a winter person. I don't like being cold. I don't like being out in it. But I learned to rearrange my thoughts about that. But it's just it's a constantly changing palette of color and light and subjects and um, it's just a wonderful place to photograph and I love the people there so what about winter we'll start there what about winter made it hard for you to see the beauty in it you know I just I don't like being cold and I would try my best to go out and and you know photograph in winter, but I think I was so blocked I, that I couldn't see what was before my eyes because all I could think about is I just want to get back to the cafe and get some warm coffee or some breakfast. It's too cold out here. But when I, so what happened was this winter, um, I, I knew that if I was going to, to um, continue my photography, We've all had to make incredible adjustments during this pandemic because things have been closed and we can't travel and the places that I normally turn to in the winter. So when the when the flowers fade at the end of October and November, then I start photographing in conservatories. We have two amazing conservatories here in Chicago, Garfield Park Conservatory and Lincoln Park Conservatory. And these they have fern rooms and orchid rooms and desert desert rooms and flower shows during the, the winter and the spring. And so there's just, you know, there's a lot to photograph and you're in the comfort of a warm greenhouse and it, it mimics being outdoors. I, I am a person that I'm, I don't like really photographing at home because part of what makes photography special to me and, and enjoying the process is being in nature. But a conservatory kind of mimics that because every you're surrounded by plants. But this year, all those spaces are closed, completely closed. So I don't have access to them. So at the, at the end of October, early November, I, I've said to myself, okay, I, I have to, I have to change my thoughts about winter. I need to I have to photograph. It's just, it's, it's in my DNA. And I, I wasn't willing to give it up for five or six months to get through the winter to spring. And, and so I said, okay, we're just going to, we're going to get out there. We're going to learn to dress warmer. We're going to, you know, get, get out there with our camera and see what's out there. And, you know, I, I did, I learned to dress in, in warm layers and, um, I would go out for about two or three hours at a time, and I was absolutely floored, just stunned at what I was finding, the beauty in the garden. There was there, There's so much grace and beauty in the way that plants shrivel up and the seed pods, and I found so many flowers that looked like they were dancing, and it, it was just stunning to me. So... Um, I have this whole body of work that I've created. I call it What Remains, The Beauty of Winter in the Garden. So this project has just been transformational. 
in terms of, you know, seeing the beauty of plants in this stage. And and I don't want to say that they're dying because they're really in a cycle of growth. They will come back. There are signs of renewal, even in the dead of winter. You can still see the buds on the trees that are just waiting to pop in spring. So I've learned a lot about how plants winter. And the other interesting thing that came out of this was that um, in December, I kind of hit a wall emotionally. I was exhausted. I mean, I think just the events of the year, the strain of the, the fear and the anxiety and all the feelings we were feeling about the pandemic, the sense of loss. And plus, I had just kept up this incredibly intense um, pace of doing one presentation, one conference after another. And by December, I was exhausted. And I said, you know, I need to take a rest too, just like these plants are doing. And I I found this book. um, I just kind of stumbled on it. It's called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. And that book spurred me on to thinking that, you know, we, we can take our cue from the plants and really just step back rest, reflect, um, kind of feed our souls and come out renewed. And so that's what I did through a good part of December and early January. I just took time off and I worked on this project, but I, I kind of pushed everything else to the side and it, it was incredible. So this project has been really transformational for me. And, um, I wish you could see the work. It's it's on my it's on my website, and I wrote an article for um, the um, photographers uh, Nature Photographers Network, where I explained the whole you know emotional connection I had to this this project. But um, it's changed the way I feel about winter. <laughs> I now look forward to going out to it. Maybe not right now because we are like at one degree today it's it's really frigid here but that'll change by hopefully by next week how do you expect to take what you've learned during this project and and looking at more of the emotional connection side to a period that that you hadn't photographed before and pulling that into the areas that you are very used to photographing in a very familiar place? Well, that process was very easy for me in other seasons. It, it's, it's the way I approach my work. Um, and I, I can tell you a little bit about my workflow that kind of gets me in that mindset. Please. Um, but it it was that process got blocked because of my dislike of winter and my wanting to hurry to get to get out of it so once i could get past that and really open my eyes and begin to see this then then it opened it up but other times of the year that that process is very easy for me <laughs> um so I'm somebody that really approaches my work in a very slow, mindful way. And I know that's kind of a catchphrase now that the, a lot of photographers use, but it's very much tied into the fact that I come from a background that where it makes total sense. So I, I, I don't, I guess I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm, um, 
I was a, an art therapist in my past life, and I, um, I have a master's in art therapy, and I practiced art therapy as my first career. And for a long time, I didn't see the connections between my work as an art therapist and what I was doing in photography. But when I did begin to see those connections, a light bulb went off. And I said, whoa, this is why you approach your work the way that you do. This is why you tend to see the more emotional, um, reflective side of, of photography and and." you know, wanting to, to gain self-awareness through photography. And it's also why you view the process the way that you do. Because in art therapy, the process of creating is what's therapeutic. I mean, we can learn a lot about ourselves through that art. Um, art therapy is it, it's really an expressive therapy that uses the process of creating art to explore feelings, to develop self-awareness and to help resolve conflict and an art therapist helps the client to understand the unconscious meaning behind their art through either drawing painting working in clay or even photography and um but it's but it's also the process of creating in itself that's therapeutic so when I approach my work, it's it's this very slow, mindful process where I can really get into knowing my subject, spending time with that subject, exploring how that subject makes me feel. Does it elicit stories? Does it elicit feelings? Or is it simply just a feeling of awe and beauty in my subject? And then I spend a lot of time with that subject exploring it. So what that really yields for me is it, it's it's a focus on being, on experiencing rather than having. So, it, you know, although I love the images I create, it's the process that's really important to me. And... Um, I, I, you know, I can't emphasize that much. And I know that that's not the way everyone approaches their work. A lot of people are very focused on that final image. And yes, the image is important, but for me, it's important because it reflects back to what I was experiencing in the field. So I just, I get lost in my subjects and I tend to spend, when I take the time to find a really interesting, compelling subject, I tend to spend an hour or two with it. And to me, that's where the creativity emerges with that time spent. And it's it's just what makes me love my photography. In terms of the art therapy, do you think photography kind of get gets lost in that thought of using art as a therapy? Because, and the reason I ask that is, once I read that on your website, I went over to goodtherapy.org. I don't know if it's a reputable art therapy site versus another. That's just the first Google link that came up. And I was scrolling through and reading about it and kind of exploring the deeper meaning of what it is. And they had a list of exercises and activities that could go along with it. And it literally lists every type of art except photography. Well, I, you know, that's interesting because when I was practicing art therapy, um, 
And I was really at, at kind of the, the beginning of, of art therapy developing. I, I, um, this was in the, the late 80s and, and, well, when was it? I'm trying to think. When did I? Yeah, the, it, was, it was in the 80s. And the field was really just emerging. And, you know, I, when I, was, I studied anthropology and archaeology in college, I wanted to be an archaeologist, which seems completely, you know, a different realm. But <laughs> I, I, I grew up in the arts. Arts was really important to me all my life. And, um, and then when I, I got to college, I just became fascinated with, with you know, the, the artist, the, the art of prehistory and all of that. And But what I realized was missing, I, I worked for a little while in, in that field. And, you know, I, would, I was working in a museum and I was in a closet literally sorting collections of prehistoric Native American collections. And, you know, this, I mean, this stuff was like awesome. But I felt very isolated, and I missed um, I missed the people contact. Even though I'm a bit of an introvert, I really missed people, and I I I realized that I needed the pull to my art was was kind of pulling me back. And photography has always been a part of my life since I was given my first camera at, at age ten. Um, but just art in general. So I, I learned about this field and jumped in. I said, this, this is for me. Not only can I, you know, help people, but I can do it through a medium that, that is exciting to me. And, um, so at that point, really art therapy was more about, you know, using painting, using drawing, using the more traditional art forms. But I have oftentimes thought since, you know, I've been a photographer that what an, an amazing way to explore feeling and, you know, delve into that photography would be. I mean, I would, if, if I had a couple extra days in the week, I would love to develop an art therapy program based on photography. I think of a population like adolescents where that would be really powerful. So um, I think it's underused. I don't really know if a lot of art therapists are using photography, but they, but I personally think they should be. So I think it'd be very interesting. I agree. And it's, it's one of the big points that I, I try to make for myself um, and I know I've talked about my story on a podcast episode way, way, way back. Um, but you know, I've used art therapy and photography to, um, combat PTSD, uh, and anxiety in my own experiences, uh, living abroad as a missionary. And it, it's, it's funny because the my counselor, when we were talking about everything, we were doing EMDR for PS, PTSD and she was talking about, you know, getting in touch with all of your senses, the mindfulness practices, the meditations, and she was explaining everything. And I was like, this is literally exactly what I do when I am in the field taking photos. And it's, it never clicked until that point. And she was very, I commend her because she was very responsive to that. 
and took what we were doing in our sessions and said, do the same things, you know, when you're out in the field. And I think it's not only saved me from a lot of attacks mentally, um, from what I've been through, but also I, I think in a way saved my photography and, and grew a, an appreciation for it. Like I've never had before. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's awesome. And I'm glad that she could help you make all those connections, you know, even though it sounds like you, you were making them very definitely, but that she could, she could confirm them for you. Yeah. And, and I think there's also the, the element of, for many of us, that just being in nature is therapeutic. That's, that's why I don't do a lot of studio work. I, you know, there are many, many flower photographers who exclusively work in studios or in their homes, photographing, you know, with, um, with, you know, different light sources. And to me, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've done it, but it doesn't get me excited. It doesn't have the same impact for me as being outdoors. That's just a huge piece of it for me is stepping into nature, the way nature feels for me, the, how it centers me, it calms me, it feels very restorative. I mean, I feel that the, the minute I step into a natural place. And, and so that that feeling adds into the, the therapeutic benefits. And I mean, we, we know that from research that being in nature calms our brains. It, it de-stresses us. Um, it, it makes us more reflective. I, I feel like I'm much more open to creative thinking. My senses are keener when I'm out in nature. So to me, that's just a huge part of the, the therapeutic aspects of of what we do so I just I remember feeling that as a child that feeling of of that I was more myself in those wild spaces I was just there was some feeling that would just wash over me that um yeah I remember it very vividly can you think of an example when a photograph helped you kind of go through and process some of the emotions you were feeling um, during a time in your life or helped you make that connection between emotion and expression? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I don't want to lead everybody to believe that every photograph I create, if you look at my website, you'll see I, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I probably have way too much stuff on my website. But you know, not every photograph is about understanding emotion or having stories in the images that, that get elicited. Um, sometimes it's just about capturing a beautiful moment, a beautiful flower or, or plant. But when that does happen, it's, it's really, um, it's powerful. And, you know, I can think of a couple of, of, um, couple of examples where that that happened um one goes back oh gosh was it not not this past summer but the summer before my um my daughter's son-in-law and our granddaughter she was two at the time 
uh, came to visit in Chicago and we spent a whole week together and we just, we had the most wonderful time. It was just this magical visit, you know, we, we did so many things and it was so fun to have our granddaughter in our home. And I'm one of these people that saves <laughs> all, I saved all my children's toys. And so I set up this whole playroom for her and it was just really cool to see her playing with all the toys that her mother played with. And so we just had this amazing, wonderful week. And at the end of the week, my husband and I drove them to the airport. And as I always do, I cried. My, my children just know this about me. I just, I, you know, it's hard to say goodbye. They all live farther away. And, you know, I was, I was feeling sad. So what I oftentimes do when I'm feeling that way is I pack up my backpack and I head to the Botanic Garden. And the, so I was at the, the garden and the first garden that I walked into, um, I wanted to go check and see a patch of dahlias that I had been photographing before. There were these three little dahlias turned back with their backs, you know, facing me. And it was, it was two larger dahlias with a tiny little bud right in the center. And I looked at it and I said, Oh, that's my family right there. And they were turned as if they were leaving. And there was something, instead of making me feel sadder, there was something really comforting about that. It was, it, I call it my happy little family. And um, it just, it just made me feel better. It just, it, it made me realize that we had had this wonderful visit and, um, there they were, right in the garden. So it's little things like that. And sometimes I can look at flowers have wonderful gestures, you know, whether it's looking like they're dancing or when they're interacting, sometimes it can elicit, you know, some tender moment that that you might pick up on. And I've had times in the garden where I'm photographing flowers where it will bring back a very significant buried memory um, and just of an interaction maybe that I had with someone or my children. or So that's what I love. I kind of live and breathe for those kind of experiences. And it's, again, not every flower Sometimes it can just be looking through that viewfinder and just feeling lost in the beauty of what I'm seeing or the way the light's playing on it. And I, I can just barely pull myself away because you, you just, you get lost in that. I, I call it the dance. It's, it's like being in a dance with your subject. And I, I don't know how it is. I don't do a lot of landscape photography, but um, I know that it's it's very easy for me to get lost in that that dance in macro photography because you're kind of looking into the subject and you're looking at the lines and the curves and the just the wonderful elements within. So I kind of trained myself to look at flowers and my subjects more abstractly because it brings forth all of that for me. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick. And since we have Anne on the podcast today, what I want to do is switch the sponsorship up a little bit. They didn't ask me to do this 
but I do want to say if you are interested in Out of Chicago Live, that conference that's coming up in April, I do want to say go ahead and go to outofchicago.com and sign up for that because we have over 50 photographers right now who are going to be presenting. There are going to be panel discussions. There's going to be photo challenges. Uh, it's just going to be a great few days of learning photography. We even have a few keynote speakers by photographers who've been on this podcast like Alistair Ben and John Barclay. So many of the people that you've heard right here on the Landscape Photography Show are going to be presenting at Out of Chicago, so you don't want to miss it. Again, that's outofchicago.com and sign up for Out of Chicago Live coming up in April. Back to the show. Is there truth into that saying that that flowers are healthier if you speak to them and you allow them to speak to you? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose, but um, it, it definitely, I feel like, you know, there's so many times that subjects just have these stories that they, they want to be known. And that became so abundantly clear to me this winter when I started exploring these winter subjects. Um, if you look at some of the work that I produced, um, I, I found this small patch of helianthus. It's a, it's a sort of a, um, a sunflower that grows um, in certain of the native plant gardens and the prairies at, at Chicago Botanic. And they're amazingly, even though they look very fragile as they curl up, I mean, obviously the petals fall off. So you have the seed head and then you have these these beautiful leaves that kind of curve and I, I kept finding them and they looked like dancers to me. Just, I mean, it was just amazing. These dancers doing pirouettes and you now I come from a, a background. I did a lot of ballet as a, as a child. And so I tend to see flowers as dancers. It, it just, it's a part of my soul because even though I can't do those movements anymore, they're a part of who I am and the way that I see. And um, so it, it, it just, I mean, it's almost uncanny how it felt like there was just this raw emotion that these flowers wanted to convey and that I was finally willing to see, not just this dead plant. It was this beautiful subject. So you, you'd have to see the images to, to really um, to kind of understand what I'm talking about. I have a I have a a gallery on my website set up called the you know what remains the beauty of winter in the garden. So how do you teach your approach? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting because. When I first started teaching, I really thought that what people wanted from me was, you know, things like, what aperture did you shoot that in? And, and you know, do you use flash? And they wanted all the technical information so that they could kind of take that and do the same thing. And that's not really, I mean, I teach that. Absolutely, I will teach you that because we, we have to understand the basics. We have to understand how ap aperture 
you know, affects our images and how we can use Aperture to help tell the story of our images. And so, yes, absolutely, I teach all of that. But um, I began through the years to piece together how the how my art therapy background was was affecting my own photography. And I started kind of bringing this into my teaching and into my presentations and kind of testing the waters with it. I, I wasn't sure. I, I imagined some people saying, oh, that's just, you know, that's silly. That's, I don't feel, you know, I don't have feelings when I photograph. And I couldn't believe the response that I got. I would have people come up to me after my presentations and say things like, you changed my life. You changed my photography. This is what I've been looking for. This is what, you know, I've, I've been wanting to develop. And I, I was just blown away by the response. So, you know, I just, I kept incorporating more of it. So I can teach people, I can teach them the workflow that I go through in the, in the field to help all of this emerge. I can't teach somebody to be emotional. That's something you, you know, you have to work on, but I can teach them the workflow that might help bring it forward. And again, it's that very slow and mindful approach where, you know, maybe you just need to sit down with your subject and, Take the time to ask yourself a series of questions. I, I ask myself, you know, what's drawing me to this subject? What is it that I'm fascinated? Why did I pick this subject? Is there a story em emerging? Is, you know, what do I feel here? And then, you know, I begin to ex look beyond that to, to think how can I compose my image and work with what I have to bring that story forward. So, you know, I want to look at, um, you know, composition. What what what's going to help me get there? Uh, how's the light playing on my subject? Is that light going to help bring that story forward? Do I need to manipulate that light? What's happening in my background? Is you know, backgrounds are so important in macro photography. We have to learn how to control them and how to you know position ourselves, use the right aperture, use the right lens, um, all those things that can help improve a background. So I'm thinking through all these things before I even pick up my camera. And and then I then I tend to you know pick up my camera and begin to look through my viewfinder and just again try to get into that dance. And sometimes that just that process will again bring that emotion forward. So it's it just it takes time and it takes asking yourself a lot of questions. But again, I, I can't, you know, I can point someone in the right way with the right tools, but I can't necessarily teach them to be emotional. But you know, even aside from that, if that's not your cup of tea, I think by slowing down and becoming more mindful, more in tune with our subjects, we're going to enjoy our photography a lot more. And if we do that, that's fantastic, you know, because to me, that's what it's all about. If we're not enjoying it, then we need to shake it up and do something different. Are you comfortable, though, when people come up to you and, and see you as somebody who 
saved their photography and, and really saved their photographic expression? Oh, I'm, it's the biggest honor somebody, I mean, that's the biggest compliment I could ever receive. It means if people have made me cry by saying that, because that, you know, that makes me even more determined to teach what I'm teaching. So, yeah, I'm totally comfortable with it. And it, you know, I'm more than happy to help them on that journey because I know what it means for me personally. You mentioned Lynn's baby at the very beginning of our conversation. Uh, I've frequently taken that lens up this past year and then learned how to use it. And I've jokingly referred to it as the most frustrating and most rewarding lens that I've ever used in my entire life because it's, it can be difficult to find the right focus range. And I, I, I've never really dabbled with macro too much, but any wind is, is going to give you so many headaches. <laughs> well, that's that with or without lens baby. That's a, yeah, that's a problem. That's, that's hard. That's one of the things we can't control. Um, I, I love hearing you say all this because yes, it's it. These lenses have a learning curve, but if you can get past that, then they can open up. So I mean, they they changed my photography, and I love the work that I've seen of yours with Lens Baby. It just gets me really excited to see you using it, and and also to be you know turning your focus to more macro subjects. I think you're a natural for that, and I mean I think you should continue to explore it because your work has been beautiful. Not not that you should ever give up landscape, but. Um, because that work is is very compelling too, but um, you know it just those lenses they take some time. It's why I wrote my first ebook. Um, I I was getting um, I'm a lens baby ambassador, so I get a lot of questions almost every single day. I get questions from people. You know, first of all, what lens should I buy, and um, what you know how how can I master these lenses? I this focus is driving me nuts because these are manual focus, manual aperture lenses. They're they're old school. And so we have to learn, we have to kind of retrain our brains. We can't use autofocus. We have to focus on the lens barrel, um, the velvet, which is the lens. You have the velvet 85, right? I do. Yes. Okay. That's my favorite lens. Um, the velvet lenses, and there are three of them now, are very difficult to focus because um, they have this beautiful ethereal glow built into the lens. And you, you see it between... Um, F 1.6 or 1.8 in the 85 up to about F4. Beyond that, the glow has pretty much disappeared. But a lot of people are trying to focus, you know, wide open or at F2, F2.8. And it's really hard because you have this glow in there. So, you know, I, I try to teach people, do your focusing at F4, at F5.6. It doesn't mean you can't shoot it at you know, a lower aperture, but you, it's going to be really hard to get your focus at those wide open apertures. So just learning all those tips and tricks, which I then 
put into a book because, you know, I was, I was, there clearly was not enough information out there with how to use these lenses. And I thought that was something that I could offer to help people. And, um, I, you know, I love, I love helping people understand these lenses and, and watch them fall in love with them and, and change their photography because it, for me, these lenses, they, they represent a number of things that fit very much into my philosophy. First of all, they help me photograph the way that the my subjects feel to me. They help me bring that emotion into my work. And they're also about embracing play and experimentation because you're going to have to do a lot of play with these lenses to get to know them. And you know, I think we we all need to to embrace play, to kind of go back to that three-year-old self. You know, I, I, I taught three-year-olds for a while in between my career as an art therapist and going full-time into my photography. And, and I think three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds are the most, you know, creative beings. They We tend to lose creativity as we get older. It just kind of goes underground. It doesn't mean we can't rediscover it. But part of rediscovering it is kind of learning to experiment the way young children do without fear of judgment, without, um, you know, an end game. That's how they learn. That's, you know, they, they are just willing to try a lot of things. And these lenses somehow really embrace that, that sense of play. Sometimes I th- I'll think, oh, this this isn't going to work. The velvet's not the right lens for this particular plant or image. And, and then, you know, I take that risk. I'm willing to make that mistake because we have to be willing to make mistakes to move forward in our work. And sometimes I'm very surprised by the outcome. And um, so the lenses just, they encompass all that for me. So you know, the more you get familiar with it, the more comfortable you're going to be. And I, you know, very few people um, don't like them once, once they get to that point, they, they tend to fall in love and it becomes a bit of an addiction. So there's a whole line of lenses. So, and I, I think I own them all and use them all. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but what I've seen in going back and forth between landscape and macro with the velvet is landscape to me has become way more planar on a 2d surface so yeah you can argue that foregrounds give you a three-dimensional look especially with a wide angle but really when you're setting up a composition you can work around a scene but for the most part you're moving side to side not so much up, down, forward, back. With the velvet, it seems way more three-dimensional to me. And you can move in 360 degrees all around your subject to find, like you said, the backgrounds, the 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 complementary colors, the solid colors. And it's it's been very unique in that way because I feel like the two approaches to to both landscape and velvet have started to bleed over into one another and i think it's very 
it's it's very beneficial for all photographers to like you said try and and kind of embrace the failures but just try along the way and you'd be surprised at how much of one subgenre of nature photography can bleed into another yeah yeah that's interesting to hear you say it that way so have you used the velvet for for actual landscapes or more just for your close up I've used it for close up. Um, I've used it for a couple kind of like mid range shots, but only at f eight to f eleven. Um, I haven't used that that velvet look for a landscape look yet. Okay, because that's um, I love using the velvets for creating these kind of magical fairy tale look. Uh, you know, either smaller scenes or landscapes. And I don't know, they, because of this glow and you, and to get that, you need to shoot them around F2 to get, it just gives this, I don't know, surreal kind of look to the landscape and, and not everybody's going to like it, but to me, it, that captures how it feels to be in some of these places. So um, at Chicago Botanic and places like uh, Longwood Gardens, uh, Acadia National Park, I've used my velvet to create, you know, that the Jessup Path with the birches. One of my mm-hmm. favorite images in Acadia is that path. I, I happen to have the Velvet 85 with me, and it just created this, <laughs> this magical look to the woods. Um, so I love it for that. But, you know, most people are using the velvets more for close-up work. And they, they focus very close. I mean, this is one of the great things about the velvet is the velvet 56, you can get, um, it has a close focusing distance of five inches. The 85 is 9.5 inches. And then um, last April, they released the Velvet 28, which is a really wide angle lens. And that focuses at two inches. So you can do uh, you can do a landscape shot and then turn around and do a macro shot all with one lens without changing your lens. And it's kind of a remarkable um, lens. I, I don't know of any other lens that does that. But the, the great thing about the Velvet 28 is when you shoot it at the higher apertures, F16 to F22, you can get sharpness edge to edge. I mean, you will not be able to tell that that's shot with a velvet. Um, you, you can get that beautiful glow in the lower apertures, but you could get absolute sharpness in the 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 higher apertures, which makes it very versatile. So the the other two, the 56 and the 85, you're still going to get some softness around the edges, even if you're shooting it um, at f16. That's as high as those lenses go. But um, I love using them at f2. <laughs> so you should try that. You know, I don't know. It works really well in wooded scenes and it just captures how it feels to be in those places. I'll definitely have to try that for sure. I, you, you do a lot of work with Out of Chicago. I'm honored to be a presenter this year at Out of Chicago Live. Um, why should somebody sign up for that? Oh, we are so thrilled that you're going to be a part of it. I know I, I can't wait to hear your presentation. 
Um, out of Chicago, I'm so proud to be a part of this, to be a team member. There are um, just a, a few of us that have, you know, um, developed this country, a company. It's, you know, Chris Smith is, is the founder and uh, he's just, he's got an amazing mind and he's such an entrepreneur and he just is not afraid to run with, with any ideas. And so we, we do landscape conferences uh, across the country. We've done Acadia, Moab, Oregon. Um, we were uh, supposed to be in Death Valley in January. That will now be moved to next January. We oh, Yosemite was an unbelievable conference. And I'm not a landscape photographer, but I love these conferences. And we have the best photographers in the world that that um, come as our instructors for our landscape conferences. They're limited to 100 people, and we usually have 12 to 15 instructors with us. And we're it's a, it's a combination of, of uh, classroom and lots of time out in the field. And then we also have a, a flower and garden conference. We did our first one at Chicago Botanic. We did our second one at... Um, Longwood Gardens, and then we'll be back at Chicago Botanic hopefully this August. Um, we may have to, you know, adjust a little bit for COVID, but um, so we have these amazing um, experiences for people. It's it's five days of just immersing yourself in photography with just amazing instructors. But what happened, you know, last year when the pandemic hit. Um, we very quickly decided in March to try to, do, to move to an online uh, forum. And so we, we put this together in just an amazingly short amount of time. We brought 70 instructors together. We had presentations, image reviews, panel discussions, Zoom parties. It was, we had 800 people that signed up for that conference and everybody loved it. It was three days of just amazing learning for $300. And then you have access to the videos. You know, obviously you can't watch all of them live. So you can go back and watch the ones that you missed for up to a year after. And it was just, it was just a total success. So we decided to do it again this April and you are a part of it. I'm teaching also. And um, it's, I think this year we have 50 to 60 instructors. We're making it a little smaller, but um, we've got all kinds of new ideas that we're cooking up. And um, tomorrow we actually even start, well, tomorrow being I don't know when you're broadcasting this. We're but, recording tomorrow. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, which would be the 16th of February, we're starting our first photo challenge, which is open to anybody. You don't even have to be registered for the conference to view our photo challenges. And they're really fun. They they challenge people to get out and try something new. And so we have all these things leading up to the conference. Many of them are free. And then the conference is April 9th through 11th, where we'll have presentations, 
um, panel discussions again. We have um, we have some new ideas that that we'll announce soon. So, you know, we we've we're just continuing to innovate. So it's going to be fantastic. I mean, people loved it. In fact, some people said to us that they really liked the online learning in some ways better because it it's you know it's accessible to everybody and you know this has been you know hopefully we'll be able to start traveling again soon but it's still you know still a little iffy and if somebody wants to find out more about you how you approach photography and i know you have a new book coming out fairly soon uh if they want to get in touch with you about anything along those lines where can they go to find you well my uh website is annbelmontphotography.com and there is a contact button through you know through the website you can you can reach out to me that way or just email me directly. And my email is annbelmontphotography at gmail.com. Or if you're on Instagram, you could message me, you know, there no excuse. I'm easy to, I'm easy to find. And I love communicating with people. I, I communicate with, you know, people every single day. <laughs> and I, I've met wonderful people through through you know platforms like Instagram and they've come and studied with me and come to our conferences so you know anything if you want to talk about flower photography if you have questions about lens baby if you want a discount for lens baby I, I always have that available um, just feel free to connect She's Ann Belmont. Take her up on that offer because uh, she has loads of information to give and a lot of encouragement as well. Ann, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you. This has been a delight.